Today we explore Upali Sutta from the Manjimanikai or the middle length discourses of Lord Buddha from the Pali Canon. It's Majjhimanikaya number 56. There is another Upali in the Dhamma, in the Buddhist history, to whom we owe a great deal. And that is uh, the person who used to be Lord Buddha's and other princes, uh, Barber, who later on became a bhikkhu himself. And he was, in a sense, uh, the expert on the Vinaya, on the rules of discipline. This is not the same Upali. This is the householder Upali that we will get to know intimately today. It's a long sutta, so I'm going to try to cover as much as I can without taking anything away from it. We have here a, a beautifully captured event in this sutta that took place um, in the city of Nalanda, which today, to this day exists in India. Um, and Nalanda became very famous in uh, Buddhist history because it used to be the second oldest um, university uh, in the world. It used to uh, house over 10,000 bhikkhus, students, who would have to take so many exams, pass so many exams in order for them to pass and, and, and to be entered and to be taught by one of the I think um, either 5,000 teachers or 2,000. So for 10,000, you have a few thousand teachers in the city of Nalanda, uh, in, in the University of Nalanda, in the city of Nalanda. So this event takes place there. And uh, the Nalanda University, unfortunately, was destroyed by the Muslims uh, with the help of the local Brahmins uh, several centuries later. And they say, uh, well, all the bhikkhus, whoever was still there, left in their kutis who hadn't run away, they were massacred and, and killed. And uh, the whole thing was burned, the whole complex. It's a huge complex. Um, and they say that it took months for the fires to die down, months. So this event takes place there. Um, uh, and it's interesting because in the interaction and the dynamics of, of communication that takes place throughout the sutta, we see how people didn't behave so differently than us today, uh, especially when it comes to scheming and, and planning to, in this case, to discredit someone. Uh, as we'll see, um, or in being hypocritical, uh, especially in terms of one's own religious or spiritual practice. Um, so, but what I do want to focus on is more 
on the beauty of, of, of a genuine seeker of truth. The one who um, pushes through the uh, inertia of ignorance and laziness and, and, and uh, in order to find out answers and namely it is uh, in the in the person of upali who happens to be the supporter of this major religious leader um, uh, and and his dispensation meaning mahavira or nigantanata putta um, in a sense the recognized founder of the Jainism or Jain faith, which exists to this day, both in India and elsewhere. So here is Upali, who is a supporter, or in Pali we use the term Dayaka, um, supporter financially primarily, and he's a wealthy businessman. So um, without Dayakas or without supporters, such supporters, uh, a tradition or even a teacher uh, cannot last long in their work. So such supporters are um, always needed, uh, necessary to help that dispensation or teaching, whatever that teaching may be, to, uh, to be around. So he happens to be one of uh, um, crucial factors in Jainism. Uh, so he had made his money primarily through the making and selling of salt. So he was a, came from a city called Balaka, um, and he was known as the supporter of Jainism um, in and, and Mahavira at the time um, of Jainism, uh, the leader's life, and specifically in the city of Nalanda. Uh, we'll see how Upali possesses um, discernment and courage because he puts himself and what he believes, what he understands to be the truth on the line, which is uh, something that's rare and rare in anyone, um, let alone in a householder who has other responsibilities. Um, so he's not even a bhikkhu or, or an ascetic, uh, but he is willing to push and push the envelope, if you will to want to go straight to the Buddha, in fact, to debate with him so that he could make the Buddha refute his own doctrine. That's how much confidence he had. So it is quite commendable to have that much of a drive. I don't necessarily call that a, a sense of, of, of ego per, per se. It's just almost naivete. There's almost some sense of naivete one might think, but. Even that, I don't think it's suitable to describe his longing to test what he knows to be the truth, what he has been told to be the truth, to put it out on, on the line, as it were. So, uh, so this tells a lot about his character and how dedicated he was. And, uh, but despite whatever he strongly believes to be true, we see how he leaves his heart open. He allows himself to still be absorbed. He wasn't closed off. He was willing to understand 
and even if need be to completely change or toss out whatever he had believed for years. So um, he was also very pragmatic, we'll see. So this is uh, so compelling at the end, we'll see how he even uh, comes up with this impromptu uh, on the spot series of 10 verses, 10 verses back to back in order for him to show his appreciation to his teacher. And um, so I think Upali could have easily fit into our 21st century uh, amongst us um, in that because there is a strong relatedness um, in him that I find to be quite compelling. Uh, so let's begin. Upali Sutta Majjhima Nikaya 56. I have personally heard this. At one time, the Blessed One was staying in Nalanda at the mango orchard that was owned by Pavarika. It was during that time that the naked ascetic Nigantanataputta was also staying in Nalanda, along with a large retinue of his Jain ascetics, while being supported by his lay followers. Now, a few words about Nigantanataputta. He's commonly and historically uh, named or called Mahavira uh, or the great conqueror. And he was a contemporary of Lord Buddha. He was, they say, he was a little bit older, if not a lot older than Lord Buddha. Uh, because when uh, uh, Siddhartha became the Buddha after his awakening, he was only 35. So they say that um, um, Mahavira or Nigantanataputta already was almost twice his age. Um, so he's the last of the 24 Tirtankaras, uh, other conquerors or legendary. Um, Tirtankara means like crossing path maker, if you transliterate it, or crossing maker or junction maker. Um, in short, it's like a savior. Um, and Mahavira also means uh, the great uh, hero also, Vira. Uh, in yoga, we have Vira Bhadrasana 1, 2, and 3, which is the Vira, um, oh, sorry, the warrior posture. So it comes from the same Vira. And he also has the elements of energy and perseverance in the Dhamma that we used. Um, the term that even Lord Buddha used in his dispensation for virya or energy. So Mahavira's title was also an honorific title uh, given by his followers. And his meanwhile, his original name was uh, Vardhamana. Um, he also was born in the Kattaya uh, caste, which is the warrior uh, royal class, the kingly class. Um, but because he was not the firstborn, he was one of the younger sons of the king. He was destined uh, never to be, uh, to, to inherit the kingdom. Um, but by the time he was 30, um, he got married and, and he had a daughter. Uh, he had a child, but then he uh, decided to go and become an ascetic. 
So, uh, so he became a sadhu, what we still find in India today. Uh, he, Mahavira's um, uh, method was to, to, to come in and to systematize and to organize the teaching of Jainism, whatever was left over, what they say, from the 23rd Tirtankara. Um, so he organized it, formulated it in, 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 in a way where you ended up having two traditions within Jainism. One was called the Digambaras and uh, Digambaras, I'm sorry, not Digambara, Digambaras and the uh, Shvatambaras. Um, and one was called basically the, um, the sky clothed or sky clad uh, ascetics, meaning these were the naked male ascetics. They would have the sky as their covering in a sense. That's why they're called sky clothed. And then the, you had the Shvetambaras, which were the white clothed uh, followers. Um, and he also had four categories within his Sangha, if you will, the male and female ascetics. And then you had also the lay uh, male and female um, um, ascetics, where Upali here we see is one of the male ascetics, like we have in, in the Dhamma. We have upasikas and upasikas, male and female uh, uh, lay disciples. So, uh, although older uh, Mahavira than Lord Buddha, we see how throughout the Pali Nikayas in the suttas, uh, how there's an there's a consistent intrigue, there's a consistent uh, uh, contentious uh, relationship primarily from the side of the giants. And one might say, well, the Buddhist texts are being biased or the commentators, etc., which is a possibility. However, there's also quite a number of evidence uh, um, instances uh, throughout the life of the Lord Buddha, uh, at the very least, where we see so many different uh, uh, actions being committed on behalf of the supporters or even Niganta Nataputta himself to repeatedly discredit Lord Buddha, uh, to send some of his students over, oh, go, go, go debate with the recluse Gautama. Use this, use this technique. Use, if he says this, then you can come back with this uh, argument so that you can pull the rug from under Lord Buddha as it were. So we see a lot of that happen from Nigantanata uh, Buddha um, because, and his followers, because of the significance of the, the attraction of Lord Buddha and the bhikkhus, and especially the Dhamma that Lord Buddha was offering. Because you had very intelligent people, and especially in the case of the laity, who had been around the block a few times you know, as we say. And so they had some knowledge, some understanding, and they were a lot more critical when they saw something that was valid, they were going to call it valid. So when they were seeing this in the Dhamma, in Lord Buddha's Dhamma, they were becoming attracted and pulled in and becoming supporters of Lord Buddha, letting go of Nigantanataputta. So that was mainly, they say, the impetus behind Nigantanataputta going after the Lord Buddha 
because of his popularity, basically. So let's continue. Uh, then one of Niganta's naked ascetic students by the name of Diga Tapasti went wandering for alms in Nalanda and on returning from his alms round after the meal went over to where the Blessed One was staying at the mango orchard. Once there, the, the naked ascetic Diga Tapasti, the Niganta follower, exchanged friendly greetings and stood to one side. That's also a sign of disrespect from what you recall from last, uh, from last sutta. Then the Blessed One said this to him, Tapasi, there are seats available. If you wish, you may go ahead and sit down. We only see, by the way, uh, Diga Tapasi uh, here in the Upali Sutta. We don't see him anywhere else in the suttas, um, as far as I know. Um, and he stands out because of his name, Diga. Diga means long. And in the case of a person, uh, it usually means tall. So he was the tall tapasi. And tapasi comes from tapo or tapas, which is the fire or, or, or um, practitioners of austerities. So he was the tall, uh, you know, uh, austerity practicing uh, naked ascetic. So we'll see him throughout this sutta, by the way, being, uh, he has a unique character because he's very cautious. He's very, he's, he's very careful, like measuring everything he says, but he's very closed off because we'll see him getting plenty of opportunity to really change his position given the presence of Lord Buddha, but he doesn't. He sticks to his to his you know uh, to his guns, as they say. And and uh, but he but you see throughout the sutta, especially near the end, where he is he never underestimates the wisdom of Lord Buddha. Though he doesn't do that, so he's smart enough, I guess, that he does that much. Okay. Let's continue. And Diga Tapasi took a low seat, and the Blessed One said this, Tapasi, how many types of actions, or Kamma, does the naked ascetic Niganta Nataputta identify, meaning his teacher, Tapasi's teacher, that are evil and unwholesome in nature, that bring about the execution of evil and unwholesome actions, and the Niganta follower, Diga Tapasi, the naked ascetic, replied, friend Gautama, and that's another form of an insult, by the way, you're never supposed to say friend to, to Lord Buddha. So in, in Pali, the word is avuso, friend. It's almost like buddy. Um, usually it's supposed to be either Bhagava or Bhante at the very least. Friend Gautama, in teaching us, Niganta Nataputta does not usually use terms like actions. Instead, he speaks of and describes such matters in terms of offenses. Offenses. Uh, the word used in Jainism for, uh, in this case, uh, offenses is danda. Danda is uh, like a, a cane, a, a rod, uh, a stick. I remember when I was a child in school, 
you know, different era, I had teachers who would walk around with a stick. Some of them were very, very rigid. Some of them were very flexible, but even more powerful. So they would bend every time they would hit us in the, in the palm of a hand or the legs. So that's, it's like a punishment. Uh, so some, some translators, in fact, for this uh, have used the word punishment instead of um, uh, what I use as offense, because I think offense captures more the multifaceted meaning of this vis-a-vis uh, -vis what we use in the Dhamma as actions, which Lord Buddha is referring to. So um, just to, to, to clarify with, with Jainism and the relationship between Danda or offense, um, a person's uh, measure, what type of a person that is, is very much uh, reflected in, the, um, in their karma, in their, um, they believe in karma, uh, but it's like layers. They call it knots, knots, basically. In English, we call it knots. So it's like one after another. So the person is involved in doing tapas or, or uh, uh, austerities in different ways, uh, including donations and things. Uh, but they do that with the attempt to unlock, untie those knots, meaning by more by doing more austerities the the person will unlayer remove the karmic layers if you will the strata and that is the objective where the, the person gets to have such uh, actions throughout their life where they believe that one day one day they could completely eliminate karma now, as far as the Dhamma is concerned, that's absolutely ludicrous because uh, given the lifespans and the incalculable eons of lifetimes that we've lived and the amount of karma we have amassed, that's just impossible. And uh, just in one single lifetime, just the karma of one single lifetime is, is impossible to, to deal with, to let alone to remove the negative ones. <clears throat> so that's another uh, 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 already a big issue. Also, Danda refers, uh, they refer to it as restraint or suppression rather. <clears throat> Excuse me. Where, <clears throat> and this is a different type of restraint than we see in, 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 in the Dhamma, which is Sangvara, uh, where there's the four uh, right efforts, for example, in the Dhamma. So that is different than that, their restraint. Um, because in, in the Dhamma, we learn about the four right efforts, but as in every principle we cover there, um, the, the presence of discernment is a must. However, in the Jain understanding of suppression or restraint, the action is what matters, which basically takes us to the crux of the sutta that will discover the differences between mental action, verbal action, and physical action. So anyhow, going back to the sutta. In that case, tapasi, 
how many types of offenses does Nigantanata Putta identify that are evil and unwholesome in nature that bring about the execution of evil and unwholesome actions? Friend Gautama, Nigantanata Putta has declared three offenses in reference to committing evil and unwholesome actions that bring about the execution of evil and unwholesome actions. These are bodily offense, verbal offense, and mental offense. <clears throat> and how, Tapasi, are these offenses different from each other? Are they one and the same, or are they to be distinguished from each other? Um, the basic teaching of Jainism is that, uh, as I mentioned, human beings can conquer the limitations of uh, physical existence. And to attain this state of called um, amrita, amrita or immortality in a sense, to become a jina themselves, jina uh, as in a conqueror, um, like Mahavir himself. He claimed to be a, a, a conqueror. Um, so the goal of the Jain uh, follower is to reduce and eventually cut the bond that uh, they have in their, towards their kamma. Uh, so that their soul, or what they call as jiva, uh, can be freed. And that's how they become um, uh, a liberated one, or a conqueror, or a hero even. Um, so, um, yeah, so I just wanted to mention that. Um, okay, so friend Gautama, bodily offense is one thing, verbal offense is another, and mental offense is yet another. In that case, Tapasi, from these three offenses that are described as being different from each other, which one does your teacher identify and declare as the most significant and blameworthy in committing evil and unwholesome actions that bring about the execution of evil and unwholesome actions? Is it the body, bodily offense? verbal offense or mental offense. Friend Gautama, of these three offenses that are described as being different from each other, it is the bodily offense that my teacher identifies and declares as the most significant and blameworthy in committing evil and unwholesome actions that bring about the execution of evil and unwholesome actions, and not so much the verbal offense or mental offense. Aha. Now it's getting interesting. Tapasi, are you saying the bodily offense is the most significant and blameworthy? Yes, friend Gautama. I say it is the bodily offense that is the most significant and blameworthy. Tapasi, are you saying the bodily offense is the most significant and blameworthy? Yes, friend Gautama. I say it is the bodily offense that is the most significant and blameworthy. Tapasi, you guessed that he's asking it the third time because this was the formula to establish, to concretize a person's, even oneself, a position in an argument, in a debate. Because then the person could never come back and say, well, that's not what I meant. Oh, you're, you're putting words in my mouth. That's why it's being concretized. And also for us, for posterity, 26 centuries later, so we can see the exchange and what was 
Diga Tapasi's position. So third time, Tapasi, are you saying the bodily offense is the most significant and blameworthy? Yes, friend Gautama. I say it is the bodily offense that is the most significant and blameworthy. In this manner, the Blessed One made certain that the naked ascetic Diga Tapasi maintained his position by stating it repeatedly three times. And when this was said, Diga Tapasi, the naked ascetic, asked the Blessed One. And friend Gautama, how many types of offenses do you identify that are evil and unwholesome in nature, that bring about the execution of evil and unwholesome actions? Friend Tapasi, it is not the practice of the Tathagatas to use the term offense. It is our practice to use the term action instead. In that, which is Kamma. In that case, friend Gautama, how many types of actions do you identify that are evil and unwholesome in nature that bring about the execution of evil and unwholesome actions? Tapasi, I declare three types of actions that are responsible in reference to committing evil and unwholesome actions that bring about the execution of evil and unwholesome actions. These are bodily actions, verbal actions, and mental actions. And how, friend Gautama, are these actions different from each other? Are they one and the same, or are they to be distinguished from each other? Tapasi, bodily action is one thing, verbal action is another, and yet, and, and excuse me, and mental action is yet another. In that case, friend Gautama, from these three actions that are described as being different from each other, which one do you identify and declare as the most significant and blameworthy in committing evil and unwholesome actions that bring about the execution of evil and unwholesome actions? Is it the bodily action, verbal action, or mental action? Tapasi, of these three actions that are described as being different from each other, it is the mental action that I identify and declare as the most significant and blameworthy in committing evil and unwholesome actions that bring about the execution of evil and unwholesome actions, and not so much the verbal offense or mental offense. Several months ago, um, I was witness to, um, I wasn't present physically, but I saw an exchange between a teacher and a student. And the teacher happened to be a, a, a Buddhist monk and the student asked this teacher um, something that appeared to be very perplexing and also causing from what I could physically observe from him his, his physical you know, behavior towards the question he was asking about uh, that he was you know, somewhat, uh, this was a very important question to him. And the question related with action uh, committed by body versus mind. How important are the, uh, the precepts to be kept? And I, to my surprise, the teacher basically concluded and in a very clear way that it is not the mental action that is important, it is the physical action. So long as the student had not committed the physical action, he's fine basically. 
I was stunned because this was a Theravada bhikkhu and he should have known better. So, um, so this is one of the um, reasons why I wanted to include Upali Sutta, which I consider to be you know, so beautiful uh, in this series. I wanted to include it here so that that type of a mis uh, misrepresentation of the Dhamma doesn't occur and anymore, or at least we're doing something about that. And you have a resource here to validate uh, this because these are the words of Lord Buddha. So uh, just a footnote there. Friend Gautama, are you saying the mental action is the most significant and blameworthy? Yes, Tapasi, I say it is the mental action that is the most significant and blameworthy. And here we go again with the three times. Friend Gautama, are you saying the mental action is the most? So he continues and the Lord Buddha repeats it. Yes, Tapasi, I say it is the mental action. Friend Gautama, are you saying the third time? And yes, Tapasi, I say it is the mental action that is the most significant and blameworthy. In this manner, the Niganta follower, the naked ascetic, Diga Tapasi, made certain that the Blessed One maintained his position by stating it repeatedly three times. And once this exchange was over, Diga Tapasi got up from his seat and went back to his teacher, Niganta Nataputta. What an opportunity wasted. What an opportunity wasted. Well, it appears that Diga Tapasi was truly a very devoted Jain follower, seeing that he did not convert, <laughs> even after having this meeting, this special meeting with Lord Buddha, um, before, as we're going to see, Upali did. So he meets Lord Buddha before uh, the householder Upali comes into the scene, as it were. Meanwhile, the naked ascetic Nigantanataputta was seated surrounded by a large gathering of his lay supporters and his naked ascetics uh, from Balaka, uh, headed by a wealthy householder named Upali. In seeing Diga Tapasi approach his assembly, Nigantanataputta asked him, Tapasi, where are you coming from at this time of day? Bante, see, Bante, he comes, he doesn't call him friend. Bante, I am coming from the presence of the recluse Gautama. Ah, and did you engage in any discussion with the recluse Gautama? Yes, Bante, I did engage in a discussion with the recluse Gautama. And what was the nature of the discussion that took place between you and the recluse Gautama Tapasi? Then the naked ascetic the Niganta follower, Diga Tapasi, related the entire conversation that took place between himself and the Blessed One. And when this was related, Niganta Nataputta said to the naked ascetic, Diga Tapasi, Very good, Tapasi. You are, after all, a very good student of mine, well-versed in the teachings I proclaim, thoroughly understanding your teacher's dispensation and doing so correctly. For, now, for how could the trivial mental offense be in any way as important or significant as the physical offense? On the contrary, it is the physical offense that is the most significant and blameworthy in committing evil and unwholesome actions. 
that bring about the execution of evil and unwholesome actions and not so much the verbal offense or mental offense. Tapasi, you have indeed said the right thing to the recluse Gautama. When this was said, the householder Upali, the most prominent lay supporter of the Nigantas exclaimed, very good Bhante, it is truly great that the Venerable Diga Tapasi, being a very good student and well-versed in the teachings you proclaim, thoroughly understands the teacher's dispensation correctly, etc. He repeats that whole section. And then he adds this. Bhante, I will now go to the recluse Gautama and bring up this subject again to him as I challenge him on his doctrine by debating with him refuting his doctrine. And if he maintains his position uh, as he did with uh, the Venerable Diga Tapasi, then just like a stronger man would grab hold of a long-haired lamb by its fleece, dragging it this way and that as one pleases, in the same way I will drag the recluse Gautama this way and that as I debate with him, refuting his doctrine. He adds a few more examples or analogies as to what he's going to do. Just like a strong distillery worker at a brewery uh, would fling the massive distilling mixer into the deep vat and grabbing hold of its end, he would pull it towards him, mixing it and dragging its contents this way and that in the same way. I will drag the recluse Gautama this way and that as I debate with him, refuting his doctrine. He's not done yet. Just like a strong uh, distillery worker would grab hold of the distillery strainer by its ears as he tosses its contents up and down, turning and shaking it upside down, dragging it this way and that. In the same way, I will drag the recluse Gautama this way and that, as I debate with him, refuting his doctrine. And just like a 60-year-old elephant that jumps into a deep pond and enjoys entertaining itself by playing the game of hemp washing, in the same way, I will have fun with the recluse Gautama as I debate with him. Elephants grab hold of some reeds and, and some uh, leaves or hemp, and they would, it's, it's almost like a brush. They dip it in the water and then they splash themselves and scrape and they, they just love and enjoy doing that. So he's, he's gonna be doing that apparently with Lord Buddha, he's, he's thinking. And then he continues, now I'm off Bhante as I go and debate with the recluse Gautama. Very good householder, go and debate with the recluse Gautama refuting his doctrine because either I should go or my good student Diga Tapasi or you yourself should go and do this. And I don't recall coming across, maybe there have been, but I don't recall ever coming across Mahavira actually sitting and, and, and debating with Lord Buddha. He would always be sending somebody else. He never actually went himself. Uh, unless I'm completely mistaken. Uh, there, if there are, they're very scarce, such incidents, I mean. Uh, so, uh, 
in addition to Upali, there's been other two supporters uh, um, of, of Nigantanata Buddha that we see throughout the Nikayas. One was the Vappa de Sakyan from Kapilavatu, the Buddha's own hometown, and also um, yeah, General uh, Singha, who was also a big, big supporter of, ja of Mahavira. And he came, I believe, from the city of Vesali, both of whom actually changed camps, in a sense, because they realized what they were dealing with. And uh, that's why I have tremendous respect for householders um, of such a caliber who would stand their ground and say it like it is and not pretend to be otherwise. Uh, we see so many examples of this, but specifically these three, that Upali, General Siha, uh, and, 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 and uh, Vappa Tasakin. So, um, so we'll see how the sutta is unfolding. At that point, the naked ascetic Digatapasi interjected by exclaiming, Bhante, I don't think that sending the householder Rupali to go and debate with the recluse Gautama is a good idea. For the recluse Gautama is a magician. He is intelligent and crafty. He knows how to entice and convert the disciples of other teachers and sects. So he was talking from experience apparently. It is impossible, Tapasi, Nigantanata Putta retorted hastily and he, as he continued. It's just not possible, Tapasi, that my devout disciple, the householder Rupali, should ever become the disciple of the recluse Gautama. But it is possible that the recluse Gautama would himself become the disciple of the householder Rupali, my own disciple. Anyhow, either I should go or you or my good lay disciple Upali should go and debate with the recluse Gautama to refute his doctrine. A second time, the naked ascetic Digatapasi repeated his concern. Um, Bhante, I don't think that sending the householder Upali to go and debate with the recluse Gautama is a good idea. And he repeats it and again, obviously, he gets shut down by, by uh, Nigantanata Putta a second time, and then he repeats, Nigatapasi repeats his plea again. Uh, Bhante, please, let's not do this. Let's not send Upali. You know, basically saying, you, we, not you, just we, the community, might very well be losing Upali here. Don't send him because Rekrus Gotam is a magician. He has a converting some magical potion or something. And a third time, the naked ascetic repeated his, um, uh, his um, Nigantanata Putta uh, said, no, I'm sending him. It's impossible. It's, not, uh, pos it's, it's just not possible, Tapasi, that my devout disciple, the householder of Pali, should ever become the disciple of the recluse Gautama. But it is possible that the recluse Gautama would himself become the disciple of the householder Rupali, my own disciple. Uh, something that is necessary to be said uh, here is that uh, in addition to just trying to, like I mentioned earlier, of Mahavira's or Nigantanata Putta's consistent effort and his close uh, uh, disciples' efforts, in, in undermining, discrediting the Dhamma or Lord Buddha, uh, 
Um, we also need to mention how there have been cases where they have even engaged in criminal activities. It wasn't just doing debates and, 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 and you know, uh, proving uh, or refuting Lord Buddha's uh, statements or doctrine wrong. So in uh, several cases, we have them targeting Lord Buddha himself. Um, one time they had paid this um, woman to pretend that she had been pregnant with Lord uh, by Lord Buddha. And she had tied this pillows around her waist and covered it up. And she goes in while Lord Buddha is, is giving a Dhamma talk. And uh, so she scolds him and pretends she's acting. And everybody's shocked, obviously, to say the least. And Lord Buddha doesn't lose his composure at all. He's just compassionately radiating love to her. And just is sitting there maintaining his position without even saying a word and this woman just goes off off like like this and then on the way out something happens and and uh, either she the strings of their pillows wrapped around her waist the belt that she was holding all that thing in to look like a pregnant woman it comes apart and the pillows and everything fall and and she's obviously beyond embarrassed and people want to they grab hold of her this and then the bhikkhus just you know uh, intervene and they just get her out of the the mo monastery grounds um, and another time there was um, i don't believe it i don't know if this was the same woman or not another accusation was made and a woman was paid. These people were being paid by the supporters. Um, and these are in the suttas and also in the commentaries, by the way, um, to go into the monastery. And when the plot didn't work, they ended up killing her on the monastery grounds and they buried her there. And um, and this is uh, the Anatapindika monastery. So they buried her there without anyone seeing and they went straight to the king. And they said, our friend, our devout Jain uh, friend has not been seen uh, for a while. And the last reports that we have, she was seen leaving Lord, uh, not Lord, but Reclus Gautama's Kuti, which is impossible as you know, uh, we know. Um, <laughs> so they convinced the king's guards to accompany them to the monastery and they pretend that they're looking around asking her. Meanwhile, they're slowly, slowly guiding the guards, the king's uh, men to the place where they themselves buried the lady, the, the woman, and they uncover the body and um, that creates such a huge commotion uh, for seven days. And the people really now have doubts about the bhikkhus and the sangha of Lord Buddha for seven days. Um, and Lord Buddha says, give it seven days. Don't engage with anyone. Just keep your head down and just go on your pindapada. And seven days later, it is uncovered as to who the real culprits are. And they get their... Um, due punishment by the king uh, because they're exposed and they point the finger back to Nigantanataputta 
because and they were his followers. So there's these uh, incidents and one really uh, nasty one, I would say, an, uh, an act, uh, an event that took place and did get accomplished was when they plotted to kill one of the chief disciples. And this happened six months prior to Lord Buddha's own death. And the chief disciple here is Venerable Mahamu Gallana, uh, who was second only to the Buddha in his psychic abilities. And if you recall what I was saying earlier about the popularity of the Dhamma and Lord Buddha, the Nigantas had thought that, oh, Lord Buddha, or Recluse Gautama, uh, is uh, popular because of Mahamogalana, because he's powerful, he's so powerful. So obviously our supporters are going, gravitating towards him because of him. So if you guys go ahead and eliminate him, then Recluse Gautama won't have any, a leg to stand on. So they paid huge amounts of money to a large group of thugs and, and, and mercenaries type people who went um, to the Venerable One's Kuti. And I won't get into the details, but he escaped several times and because he had such powers. But then one day he's just like, wait a minute, it's, it's happening several days. And you know, they see him go into his Kuti they rush in, they open the kuti door, they go and there's no one there. And this happens again and again and again. So, and finally he just gets tired. Venerable Mahamu guy is like, why are they doing this? And then he looks back into his past lives and realizes that this is his kamma. Because long time ago he had killed his own parents who were blind. Simply to appease his wife uh, who and his family actually because they were becoming a burden for him basically. And he had been told to get rid of his family and he takes him into the forest and they trust him, his parents, both blind and he kills them. This is happening eons earlier, but Venerable Mahamogalana sees this and he says, ah, I see. And then he no longer escapes the, the, the attack and he stays in the Kuti as they come in and they, they cut him into pieces. So, um, so that's also uh, attributed to the Nigantas. Um, so, um, yeah. So things to to bear in mind, intrigue, all that that's go that goes on behind the scenes. So, back to the sutta. Then the householder Rupali, the follower of Niganta Nataputta, said, "Bante." seeing that he, he, he confirmed it three times, go. If you don't go, you don't go, I don't go, he's gonna go. So Upali says, Bhante, in that case, I will go now. As he got up from his seat, paid homage to his teacher and after circumambulating him, he left for the Pavarika mango orchard. In approaching the blessed one, the householder Upali, the disciple of the Niganta Nataputta, paid his respects and then sat to one side and said, Bhante, He's a lot more respectful, we see. Did the Niganta follower, the naked ascetic, Diga Tapasi, come here earlier today? I love that. He's, he's, he's first trying to confirm. He's not taking anything for granted. That tells us something about his character, his thinking. 
he's not taking anything based on hearsay. He wants to confirm for himself straight from the Buddha's own mouth. Householder, the Niganta follower, the naked ascetic, Digatapasi, came here earlier today. Bhante, did any conversation take place between uh, with, uh, with the Niganta follower, the naked ascetic, Digatapasi? A conversation did take place with the Niganta follower, the naked ascetic, Digatapasi, householder. Bhante, and what may I ask was the topic of the conversation with Digatapasi? And the Blessed One related the entire discussion that took place between him and the Niganta follower, the naked ascetic Digatapasi. And then Upali says, very good. The Venerable Tapasi explained it accurately. After all, he is a very good student, well-versed in the doctrine of our teacher, thoroughly understanding his teacher's dispensation correctly. For how could the trivial mental offense be in any way as important or significant as the uh, significant as the physical offense. On the contrary, it is the physical offense that is the most significant and blameworthy in committing evil and unwholesome actions that brings about the execution of evil and unwholesome actions. Uh, and not so much the verbal offense or mental offense. Householder, if you also base your understanding of truth on this doctrine, Holding, it, holding on to it as true and are willing to discuss it further, then perhaps we can have a conversation on this matter. Now, if you see, Lord Buddha did not really probe Diga Tapasi when he met him earlier. Here, however, he, you can tell almost like there is hope with this one, he's thinking because Lord Buddha had the ability, the ability to, to see the person if they were ready or not. And we're gonna see uh, why he did, what he did. Bhante, I also base my understanding of truth on this doctrine, holding on to it as truth, and I am, I am willing to discuss it further. So yes, let us have a conversation on this matter. Aha. What do you think, householder? Suppose there is a follower of Niganta Nataputta, a naked ascetic, who suddenly becomes gravely ill. However, although being afflicted with a serious disease, suffering and being in pain, burning with fever, he continues to reject any cold water, which is not allowed according to your teacher's doctrine, while insisting on taking only hot water, which is allowed according to your teacher's doctrine. Now, because of him adhering to his teacher's instruction of not taking any cold water, he dies. Uh, this, by the way, refers to the Jain restraint or suppression from drinking um, cold water because they believe that there are living beings in the cold water. The problem, however, is that hot water is allowed. And the way to make cold water hot, you have to boil it which, by the way, kills all living beings. So there you go. Interesting logic there. Now that he is dead, householder, where does your teacher say this man would be reborn? Bhante, there are divine beings, devas, that are called mentally tied. He will be reborn amongst them. And why is that? 
It is because he died while being tied by the mind. Householder, householder, think carefully before you reply. What you said earlier does not agree with what you're saying now. Householder, you clearly stated earlier the words. I also base my understanding of truth on this doctrine, holding on to its truth as truth and am willing to discuss it further. So yes, let us have a conversation on this matter. Bante, despite what the Blessed One says, nevertheless, I am firmly, I firmly believe that it is the physical offense that is the most significant and blameworthy in committing evil and unwholesome actions. And not so much the verbal offense or mental uh, offense or verbal action or mental action. Uh, in Jainism, we have this principle of non-harm or harmlessness, which became popular in the 60s and 70s in the West and to this day in different ways uh, and different incarnations, I would say. Uh, which, and the term I'm looking at is basically is, is ahinsa, ahinsa. Um, which is, um, it's, a, it's a moral absolute. It is a measuring stick, if you will. Um, it is the yardstick by which all actions, or in this case, offenses, are to be measured uh, against. And um, this is the thing which will detach the soul or jiva from the karma they believe, and it will be released um, from uh, cycles of, of rebirth. So Lord Buddha continues, in that case, householder, suppose there is a follower of Nigantanataputta, a naked ascetic who restrains himself while using the four kinds of suppression, being restrained in regard to all evil behavior, devoted fully to restraining himself against all evil. But in doing so, as he moves about, walking here and there, he inflicts death and destruction to many small living beings. Now, householder, what does your teacher, the Nigantanataputta, declare to be the result of such behavior? Uh, so he's, he's being cornered now, uh, Upali, more and more. And by the way, the, the four uh, restraints are Sabbavarivarito, which is uh, holding back or uh, uh, oneself or not obstructing. And this refers to, let's say, not crossing a body of water or swimming if there's a chance that one might harm or kill beings, fish or otherwise. Sabbavariyuto, um, uh, which is the devotion or um, um, or taking care of uh, water, uh, keeping it clean, etc. And the other one is sabbavari duto, which is where we get um, the term duta or dutanga. We also have dutangas, by the way, austerities in the in our tradition. And it is basically to shake off attachments, um, typically worldly things and. Um, uh, whether one is using towels and or dealing with heat uh, or any any anything, so they they don't use towels, for example, the naked ascetics. They allow the heat to on its own to 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 dry the body after they take a shower, for example. 
And the fourth one is uh, the pervading or the spreading it's called, and that is the Sabhavati Puto. And um, it's, 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 uh, this refers more to internal uh, living organisms like worms and things. In those days, worms were the clearly identifiable parts of living organisms within us, within this physical body. So they didn't know much about cells, I guess, but um, these spread around the body like water, they say. So one has to be very careful even with the living beings inside of oneself in the body. In fact, there is a practice called um, uh, Salekhana, and that is the ritual suicide. Almost. Well, it is not almost, but it is a ritual suicide through the means of starvation. And um, we have a recent example was Gandhi, and he practiced that giant uh, practice. Um, uh, slowly, slowly withering away and, 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 and uh, almost getting to the verge of, of, of dying. And Mahavira's own parents, in fact, uh, practiced that and they died. And this has to be done with the approval of the teacher and usually teachers approve apparently in Jainism. So, um, and again, this is one, one of the best ways they know that can clear up those knots, karmic knots, to release the jiva of the spirit or the soul uh, from the karma and, and become uh, uh, a vanquisher or a conqueror. So back to the sutta. Bhante, my teacher, Daniganta Nataputta declares whatever is unintentional to be of no significance. So Lord Buddha was asking like, wait a minute, this person going back and forth, back and forth doing this, even though is following these four restraints, what if he kills all these beings underneath his feet, for example, if he's not seeing them or not looking or it's at, in the dark? And basically, he said, Mahavira says, if it's unintentional, then hey, there's no significance. But householder, what if it were intentional? In that case, Monte, it becomes a, of great significance and is blameworthy. And in what type of offense uh, is it, householder, that your teacher identifies and declares the presence of intention? It is in mental offense, Bante. Ah, householder, householder, think carefully before you reply. What you said earlier does not agree with what you're saying now. So he repeats what he said earlier again. And then Upali says, Bante, despite what the Blessed One says, Nevertheless, it is the physical offense that is the most significant and blameworthy in committing evil and unwholesome actions. What do you think, householder? Is Nalanda densely populated? And are the people of Nalanda rich and prosperous? Bhante, Nalanda is indeed densely populated and its people are truly rich and prosperous. Householder, Suppose a strong and powerful man would come brandishing an unsheathed sword in hand, shouting, within an, instant, I, within an instant, I will turn the whole of Nalanda into a mass of flesh, a pile of dead flesh. Now, householder, would he be able to do it? Bhante, even if there were 10, 20, 
30 or even 40 men to join him in such an evil act, they would still be unable to do it in an instant, let alone one evil man such as that. Householder, suppose a recluse or a Brahmin who has the ability to wield psychic powers with his mind, who comes saying, within an instant, I will reduce the whole of Nalanda into ashes with a single defiled and evil intention. Now, householder, would he, by wielding psychic power with his mind, be able to turn Nalanda into ashes in an instant with a single defiled and evil intention? So one man was coming with a sword, and he said, there's no way, the sword, that's the physical. But here, it's an evil intention. Let's say spell or mantra or something like that. And then Upali responds, Bhante such a recluse or Brahmin by wielding psychic powers with his mind would be able to turn not just one, 10, 20, 30, 40, or even 50 such Nalandas into ashes in an instant with a single and defiled intention, let alone a single trivial Nalanda. And you guessed it, Lord Buddha is saying, householder, householder, think carefully before you reply. What you said earlier does not agree with what you're saying now. And then Upali again repeats, Bhante, despite what the Blessed One says, nevertheless, it is the physical offense that is the most significant and blameworthy in committing evil and unwholesome actions. That brings about the execution of evil and unwholesome actions. Uh, not so much the verbal offense or mental offense. Householder, are you familiar as to how the Dandaka, Kalinga, Midja, and Matanga forests came into being? Yes, Pante. These are apparently forests in India at the time. And how exactly, householder, did these forests come into being? Bhante, I have heard that they are the results of a hateful mental act performed by some meditating yogis. Householder, again, basically mental power, mental action. Householder, householder, think carefully before you reply. What you said earlier does not agree with what you're saying now. Householder, you clearly stated earlier the words. I also base my understanding of truth on this doctrine, Mahavira's doctrine, holding on to it as truth and I'm willing to discuss it further. And then here is Upali's response. Bhante, I was fully satisfied and delighted even with the very first simile the Blessed One presented to me. Nevertheless, as I wish to hear more of the wonderful illustrations and explanations given by the Blessed One, I intentionally prolonged our, converse, our discussion, feigning opposition, faking it. And now I understand, Bhante, now, I understand, blessed Lord. And he continues. It is simply magnificent, Bhante. It is excellent, Lord. The blessed one has made the Dhamma clear to me in many ways. I feel as though the Tathagata turned upright what had been turned upside down, revealing what was hidden, showing the correct path to someone who was lost. 
as though one were to bring a lamp into the darkness for all those with eyesight to see. Bhante, I go for refuge to the Blessed One, to the Dhamma, and to the Sangha of Bhikkhus. May the Blessed One accept and remember me as one of his lay followers who has gone to him for refuge for life. This is a clear declaration that Mahavira Nigantanata Putta is left behind him. Look at the incredible kindness and generosity and sense of fairness, in a sense, even if you will, of Lord Buddha. Householder, think carefully before you act, for it is important for such a distinguished person like yourself to consider your role within the community thoroughly first, prior to making such a declaration. Bhante, now I am even more impressed, touched and fully certain in my heart. So utterly delighted to hear these words of the Blessed One. Householder, think carefully before you act. For it is important for such a distinguished person like yourself to consider your role within the community thoroughly first, prior to making such a declaration. After all, if it were any of the leaders of other sects, in hearing they were about to acquire me as their disciple and supporter, they would immediately carry me about like a banner, like a flag, through the streets of Nalanda, announcing to everyone how the householder Upali is now my disciple, my supporter. Yet here, not only do I not see the Blessed One doing such a thing, quite the contrary, he is even cautioning me with his words of advice by saying, householder, think carefully before you act. Therefore, Bhante, for the second time, I go for refuge to the Blessed One, to the Dhamma and to the Sangha of Bhikkhus. May the Blessed One accept me and remember me as one of his lay disciples who has gone to him for refuge for life. Again, the Buddha says, Householder, remember that for a long time, your clan has been an avid supporter of the naked Nigantas. And to this end, you should consider that alms continue to be offered to them when they approach your home. And Lord Buddha was not just telling this or saying this to Upali, he was also saying this for everyone to, to follow in posterity, to come in time and to see and to, no one would have the opportunity or the chance to point the finger and saying, ah, the Buddha was basking in the support while neglecting uh, uh, how or how this would impact the Jains or those naked ascetics in their uh, uh, procurement of, 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 of alms food. We see the opposite here. He's also concerned about them. Bhante, now I am even more impressed, responds Upali, touched and joyful in my heart, so utterly delighted to hear these words of the Blessed One, for I have often heard from the Nigantas the claims that the recluse Gautama declares the following. Offerings should only be made to me, not to other leaders of sects. Offerings should be made only to my disciples and not to the disciples of other sects. Offerings made to my disciples are of great fruit, but not the offerings made to others. But here, on the contrary, the Blessed One yet again advises me kindly to continue making offerings to those naked Nigantas. Therefore, Lord, when the time is appropriate, 
we shall provide such offerings to them as needed. So for the third time, blessed Lord, I go for refuge to the Blessed One, to the Dhamma and to the Sangha of Bhikkhus. May the Blessed One accept and remember me as one of his lay followers who has gone to him for refuge for life. At this point, we see Lord Buddha beginning to teach in the Dhamma. Then the Blessed One gave the householder Upali the Dhamma, gradually unraveling it for him. This gradual process is extremely important. We saw this as early as uh, Bahia, where Lord Buddha said to Bahia, Bahia, this is not the right time. He wasn't refusing him to teach him, but he wanted to calm his mind down because he had been rushing, running since Mumbai, from Mumbai for a few days. It's a long, long journey. So the gradual process is necessary for the teacher, a teacher of his level, sublime level, to see the mind of the student becoming more and more and more calmer and calmer and calmer and more able to absorb, process, discern and understand what was being given, imparted to him. So gradually unraveling it for him, beginning with the discourse on the benefits of making offerings. And that's what Tathagatas begin to teach. And that's what we emulate as teachers, as bhikkhus, when we give instructions to uh, lay people or anyone. We start with dana, which is the generosity, understanding the significance of it. Uh, then a discourse on the benefits of developing a virtuous character through one's behavior with mental, verbal, and bodily actions. Sila. Dana. And then we jump into sila. Followed by a discourse on the heavenly realms, uh, the devas, and uh, which again goes contrary to what many secular Buddhists uh, considered to be redundant and unnecessary passe uh, thing. Uh, unfortunately, they, 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 some of them have this position still. Um, and here we see again the importance of it to be included in the Lord Buddha's teaching, uh, teaching uh, Upali. The Blessed One then explained the dangers in pursuing sensual desires, the depraved consequences of living such a vain life, the vileness of defiling pursuits in life and the wonderful benefits of giving all that up. When, and then when it was time, while observing how the mind of the householder Rupali was ready, malleable, free of hindrances, lofty and pleased, the blessed one expounded to him the exalted Dhamma of the Buddhas, which is the truth of suffering, the truth of its arising, the truth of its cessation, and the truth of the path that leads to the cessation of suffering. Then, suddenly, just like a pure, clean cloth, with all its impurities removed, would take, one, uh, would take on and die evenly. In that same manner, the spotless, stainless vision of the Dhamma arose in the heart of the householder Upali, right as he sat there listening attentively to his teacher. 
with his hands gently clasped together. And he knew in his heart with unshakable certainty, whatever arises from causes is of the nature to cease. Whatever has the nature of arising also has within it the nature of ceasing. Here we see Upali experiencing the truth of the Dhamma by knowing and penetrating into it. This stage is where all doubts about the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha disappear. One simply knows what they didn't ever before. Uh, this is something that is not taught, instructed, uh, nor even learned uh, from somewhere or someone else. This level of confidence, um, of self-confidence, is unparalleled for the person who experiences this. Uh, because up to that point, in the entire journeys that one has gone through in samsara, this is unprecedented. This is the stage where the three fetters, the Sangyojanas, come apart. They fall off. And the person attains, uh, for the first time, the state of nobility, which is unrivaled by any rulers, any so-called nobles that we have in the world today, or even in celestial realms, because it is truly enviable by them because the person can no longer break any precepts, for starters. And the person will no longer go around looking for the next best, uh, the next hot teaching out there, the next uh, famous teacher out there. The person will never be swayed, try to be uh, still open for taking on another teacher because it is now established and nothing could replace the triple gem in the heart of such a person uh, because one knows for sure there's no gullibility anymore there's no way that anybody could convince them now uh, so the person is beginning the process of knowing what is dhamma from what is adhamma they will know but it still has many, many layers to it of, of clarity that develops. So here we see venerable, uh, but householder Upali uh, attaining the first stage of awakening, uh, which is Sotapanna, the stream enterer, or entering the stream. And the householder, going back to the sutta, and the householder Rupali then and there saw the Dhamma by knowing and penetrating it with an utterly joyous heart as he experienced the unprecedented sense of clarity that overcomes all doubts about the Dhamma. And by gaining the sublime state of full confidence in the Dhamma thus, he knew in his heart that there could never be any more any other teacher or teaching for him other than the dispensation of the Blessed One. Then Upali, the noble disciple, said, Bhante, we will go now. There is much work to be done. Householder, you may do now what you think is suitable. Then the householder Upali, in hearing the words of the Blessed One, being pleased, delighted, and beaming with joy in his heart, 
arose from his seat and after paying homage to the Blessed One and then circumambulating him, went home. Once there, Upali, the householder, addressed his gatekeeper thus while instructing him. Friend gatekeeper, from now on, the gates of our home are to be shut to the naked Nigantas and Nigantis, the male and female. But the gates are to be kept open wide for the Blessed One, the Bhikkhus, Bhikkhunis, the Upasakas, and Upasikas. And if any Nigantas do approach the gates, you should tell them the following. Wait here, sirs, you may not enter. From today forward, the householder Upali has taken refuge in the Blessed One, and he is now the disciple of the recluse Gautama. The gates are to be closed to all Nigantas and Nigantis, but they are open to the Bhikkhus, Bhikkhunis, the Upasakas and Upasakas of the Blessed One. However, sirs, if you are here to obtain alms food, then please remain standing and food will be brought to you here. Yes, Lord, replied the gatekeeper in agreement. And it was not long after that the naked Niganta follower, Diga Tapasi, heard that Upali, the householder, had now become a disciple and supporter of the reckless Gautama. So he immediately went to his teacher, Niganta Nataputan, reported, Bande, I have heard the news that the householder Upali, your disciple, has now become a disciple of the reckless Gautama. That's impossible, Tapasi, replied Nigantanataputta incredulously, while adding, It's just not possible, Tapasi, that my devout disciple, the householder Upali, should ever become the disciple of the recluse Gautama. But it is possible that the recluse Gautama would himself become the disciple of the householder Upali, my own disciple. And as you guessed it, Digatapasi repeats this. For the second time and the third time, and again, second and third time, Nigantanata Putta still holds his position. Uh, and Digatapasi is just, you know, impatient and say, he says, either way, Bhante, I will personally go and find out whether the householder Upali has truly become the disciple of the reckless Gautama or not. And then Mahavida says, then go, Tapasi, and find out yourself whether the whole householder Upali has truly become the disciple of the reckless Gautama or not. Then the naked Niganta follower, Digatapasi, rushed to the householder Upali's home. And having reached it, he was met by the gatekeeper, who in seeing him coming in the distance called out, wait, sir, you may not enter. From today forward, the householder Upali has taken refuge in the blessed one. And he is now the disciple of the reckless Gautama. The gates are to be closed to all Nigantas and Nigantis, but they are open wide to the Bhikkhus, Bhikkhunis, Upasakas, and Upasakas of the Blessed One. However, sir, if you are here to obtain alms food, then please remain standing and food will be brought to you here. Then the naked Niganta follower, Digatapasi, said, Friend, I am not in need of any alms food, as he left the gatekeeper while rushing back to his teacher. Nigantanataputta, and gave him the news. Bhante, it is the truth. The householder Upali has truly become the disciple of recluse Gautama. I told you, Bhante, I told you that sending the householder Upali to go and debate with the recluse Gautama was not a good idea. 
For the reckless Gotama is a magician. He is intelligent and crafty. He knows how to entice and convert the disciples of other teachers and sects. He repeats this again, twice, and then three times. And three times, Nigantanata Putta doesn't want to believe it. And uh, the sutta continued. Then exacerbated, Nigantanata Putta himself went and approached the householder Upali's house, followed by a large gathering of his naked ascetic, Nigantas. Now the gatekeeper in seeing the crowd of naked Nigantas headed by Nigantanataputta himself coming in the distance, distance called out, wait sirs, you may not enter from today forward, etc. He repeats the whole thing that it, if they want food, then food will be brought to them, but they have to wait there, which is quite uh, beyond embarrassing. It's, it's, uh, it's demeaning for them because these were his teachers they would go inside his home, never be left outside the gates. And if you've ever been to these old mansions, huge orchard, uh, like mango orchards, etc., uh, they have vast territory. Um, and so they are, have several houses until you get to the main house where the Lord of the mansion or the, the, the lady of the mansion live. So this is pretty far and they can't even enter. They're stuck outside. And then Niganta says, friend gatekeeper, we would like to speak with your Lord, the householder Upali. Go and tell him that Niganta Nataputta has come with a large gathering of Nigantas and is standing outside. He likes to meet with the householder Upali. And the gatekeeper went and approached the householder Upali and informed him, sir, Niganta Nataputta has come with a large gathering of Niganta naked, excuse me, ascetics, and is standing outside. He likes to meet with you. Then, friend gatekeeper, first go and have seats be prepared in the reception hall within the middle house. The middle house, not the main house. So it's almost like a guest house or something, far removed from the main residence. Yes, sir, replied the gatekeeper. And after having made the necessary arrangements in the reception hall within the middle house, he returned to the householder Rupali and said, sir, the seats are all ready and waiting for you in the reception hall within the middle house. You may do now as you think is fit, sir. Then the householder Rupali by first going to the reception hall within the middle house, sat on the most opulent, respectable, highest, best, and most excellent seat there was, as he instructed the gatekeeper. Friend gatekeeper, it is now time. You may now go and tell Nigantanataputta and his naked followers, Bhante, the householder Rupali informs you all that you may now enter by following me to the reception hall within the middle house. Yes, sir, replied the gatekeeper as he went and informed Niganta Nataputta and his naked followers, and he informs them. Then the Niganta Nataputta, along with his naked ascetics, went to the reception hall within the middle house. Customarily in the past, whenever the householder Upali saw his teacher, Niganta Nataputta, in the distance, approaching his, his house gates, he would rush out to go and meet him. 
while also preparing the most opulent, respectable, highest, best, and most excellent seat in his home by dusting it off with his upper robe. And once he had done so, he would then invite him to sit on the especially, especially ready-made seat. However, now it was the householder Upali himself who was seated on the most opulent, respectable, highest, best, and the most excellent seat. He was a noble disciple. That was very appropriate in the presence of who was coming. We don't call noble disciples noble for nothing. In seeing them enter, the householder Upali pointed at the other seats and said to Nigantanataputta and his naked ascetics, Bhante, there are seats available. You may go ahead and sit down if you so wish. Witnessing this, Nigantanataputta exclaimed, Have you gone mad, householder? Or are you now a dull-witted idiot? You told us that you were going to debate with the reckless Gotama and refute his doctrine. But I see you are now back, having trapped yourself in the netting of a wrong doctrine. Householder, much like a man who has gone to castrate someone else, instead only ended up coming back having himself been castrated on both sides. Wow. Just like a man who has sent who was sent to pull someone's eyes out, instead only returns with both his eyes having been pulled out. So I see you, householder, who said to us that you were going to debate with the reckless Gotama and refute his doctrine, but only came back having trapped yourself in the netting of a wrong doctrine. It's quite interesting that despite how Jainism, uh, there, in, there is the belief uh, that all human beings, animals, plants, and things uh, visible and invisible to the eye are equal and should not be harmed. Hence their principle of Ainsa, sticking to that harmlessness thing. Ironically, here we see their own leader, the 24th Tirthankara, who they claim to be the last one that they have, using references as castrations. And, and, and gouging someone's eyes out. Um, this was coming from the head of the tradition. So it's, it's quite ironic, I find, if not sad at the same time. Um, so it's, it's, it, we get an idea as to how it was practiced, uh, the, the principle of ahinsa or non-harm when you have this kind of reaction taking place in the person who happens to be a jina, jina meaning a conqueror as to their tradition. That's how, you know, Mahavira or the great uh, warrior or, or conquer, uh, the, the one who conquered. So, yeah, so, um, that's one of the reasons why we also have to come, always have to come back to the heart of the person, not, the, not their status or whatever they say. Um, it's through their behavior. Don't trust the words, trust the behavior. Like a therapist that said to me years ago, a therapist friend of mine, 
Um, and here we see holds true 26 centuries earlier as well. Meanwhile, Mahavira continues his rant. Householder, you have truly been enticed by the crafty recluse Gautama's converting magic. And this is where Upali starts responding. And how wonderful it is, that converting magic, Bhante. What amazing, what an amazing enticement it is to be converted. Now, if only my dear and loved ones, my kinsmen and relatives were to be similarly enticed by that converting magic, it would conduce to their well-being, their benefit and happiness for a very long time. If only all the warrior rulers and kings were to be similarly enticed by that converting magic, it would conduce to their well-being, their benefit and happiness for a very long time. If only all Brahmins were to be similarly enticed by that converting magic. And I'll just abbreviate those sections, just read the, the, the references he's making as to who uh, is addressing. If only all businessmen and merchants were to be similarly enticed by that converting magic. If only all workers were to be similarly enticed by that converting magic. If only the universe with its devas, its maras, and its brahmas, along with its generation of recluses, brahmins, the world with its leaders and its people, were to be similarly enticed by that converting magic. It would conduce to their well-being their benefit and happiness for a very long time. To help demonstrate what I mean here, Bhante, I will share with you a simile for some wise men understand the real meaning of a statement through the means of a simile. A long time ago, there was once a Brahmin, old and burdened with years. He had a young wife who was about to give birth now that young wife said to the Brahmin, Brahmin, go to the market and buy a young monkey for my son so that he can have something to play with. But the Brahmin replied to her by saying, wait until you first give birth. Once you give birth to a son, I will bring him a male monkey for him to play with. And if you give, a, if you, if you give birth to a daughter, I will buy a female monkey instead for her to play with. Again, for a second and a third time, the wife um, asks for the monkey to be brought. And uh, as the, and you know, by the third time, uh, as the Brahmin was very much attached to the young wife, he took the monkey, uh, sorry, no. Uh, Yeah, again for the third time, uh, my apologies there. The young wife again repeated her request. Then the Brahmin being very attached to his young wife went to the market where he bought a male monkey and brought it to his pregnant wife and said, here is a young male monkey for your son so that he can have something to play with. Then the young wife continued. Now Brahmin, go to the dyer's son, Rattapani, with this monkey and have the monkey be painted in yellow dye. Make sure it gets pounded and beaten repeatedly on both sides, while also having it be well polished. As the Brahmin was very much attached to the young wife, he took the monkey with him to the dyer's son, Rattapani, and said, 
Friend Ratapani, I want this monkey dyed in yellow color. Also make sure it gets pounded and beaten repeatedly on both sides and then have it be well, uh, well polished. Then the dyer's son said to him, sir, the young monkey will not be able to take on any dye color, neither pounded or beaten repeatedly, nor any polishing. In the same manner, Bhante, this is Upali referring, talking back to Niganta, Nataputta. The foolish doctrine of the ascetic Niganta's dispute is, although may be appealing and delightful to foolish people, it certainly is not one that is tolerated by the wise. Such a foolish doctrine can never be able to withstand the scrutiny of the wise and their thorough examination. Now, he says, returning back to our old Brahmin, on another occasion, he brought a pair of new robes to the dyer's son, Rattapani, and told him, Friend Rattapani, I want this pair of new robes be dyed in yellow color. Also, make sure it gets pounded and beaten repeatedly on both sides and have it well polished, to which the dyer's son, Rattapani, replied, Very well, sir. This pair of new robes will take on the dyeing, the beating on both sides, and the polishing. Interestingly enough, the commentaries describe here that this parable, uh, um, where we have the Brahmin's young wife, uh, the young wife is represented by none other than Diga Tapassi. As he... Um, <laughs> because he's the, 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 the Niganta Nataputta's uh, favorite uh, disciple. Um, now the monkey is the household Rupali himself. Um, uh, the one who has um, uh, taken on, if you will, the giant um, coloring, the yellow dye, but who cannot tolerate being beaten, who cannot tolerate being softened in a sense. Um, and finally, uh, Rattapani, the only one who is actually mentioned within this parable, is none other than Lord Buddha himself. He is the one who has some sanity. You know, how could you beat up a, a monkey repeatedly and, and then polish it or even, you know, dye it in a color? So that's what the commentaries offer us. Um, so that was his way of using the simile to tell him what was going on now that he sees. So back to the sutta. In the same manner, the doctrine of the perfectly awakened Buddha is delightful to the wise, but not so for the foolish who cannot tolerate it. But the Dhamma taught by the Blessed One is always applicable, able to withstand the scrutiny of the wise and their thorough examination. Uh, so what we're seeing here is, is Upali saying that is his testimony after being his supporter, uh, Mahavira's supporter, um, proving that this doctrine of yours is based on false view, plain and simple. Um, because that doctrine is only good for Putujanas and foolish people, he says. Uh, and it can never withstand the scrutiny and the investigative approach uh, of wise people who know how to discern. Um, so 
because sooner or later the wise will see through it. Uh, that's what Upali is saying. Then Nigantanataputta stated, but householder, all the people together with the king of this land know you as my follower and supporter, a disciple of Nigantanataputta. Now whose disciple do you declare yourself to be then? When this was said, the householder Upali arose from his seat slowly, arranged his upper robe on one shoulder, and by carefully clasping his hands together, he raised them towards the direction where the Blessed One was staying in the Pavarika mango orchard and said, well then, sir, listen closely and you will now know for certain as to whose disciple I am. I pay homage to the supremely wise one who is beyond all delusion with the arrow pulled out, the truly victorious conqueror. The arrow pulled out is a reference to Sakaya Ditti, the, the personality view, um, or wrong view as we call it. And um, it, it, it is a unique characteristic of the dispensation of Lord Buddha's. Uh, after all, by relinquishing that, by dropping that samyojana, that, that fetter, uh, that's one of the criteria that indicates that the person now has is, is become noble. So uh, he's indicating the nobility of Lord Buddha. Um, and having that quality allows such a person a stream enterer to identify another one. They can identify another one. Um, and, and, and such a person can, uh, uh, you know, doesn't think twice before wholeheartedly uh, offering homage the way that Upali is doing now. And as far as his reference to victorious conqueror, referring to the Buddha, here is like uh, Upali's way of saying, he, Lord Buddha, is a true victorious one. He's a true Jina. He's a true Mahavira. He's a great warrior. He's the conqueror, a vanquisher. Not you. He is. Because these two terms were specifically used in reference to Nigantanataputta. So he stripped him of that title, if you will. Um, so, because only a person with utterly virtuous uh, character can hold those, uh, those accolades. Meanwhile, Mahavira with his unvirtuous behavior as, as we saw, uh, doesn't deserve it in the eyes of Upali. He is one time biggest supporter. So he continues. He is truly appeased living without anguish calmed and with a perfectly tranquil and balanced mind. He is the blessed one, the Buddha, and I am his disciple. There's your declaration. There's nine more verses to come. He is the unequaled being who bears his very last body, having completed all the duties of a recluse, attained the supreme goal of the holy life, the disciplined charioteer with all his hesitations overcome. He indeed is the happy one. He is the blessed one, the Buddha, and I am his disciple. He is stainless and beyond all insecurities. 
who lives contentedly with no perplexities or doubts, unrivaled in his guidance, the skillful discipliner, pure throughout, the victorious one who illuminates, having cut off all conceit and pride, he is the blessed one, the Buddha, and I am his disciple. The incomparable leader of the herd, immeasurable in his depth of understanding, the supremely virtuous one. With all passions fully extinguished, he is the one restrained, the provider of safety, who stands free from bondage. He is the blessed one, the Buddha, and I am his disciple. The royal tusker is he, unbound and always at home in seclusion. The emancipated one, released from all fetters that bind. He is the patient one, endowed with knowledge, the sage with limitlessly deep wisdom. Versatile in all conversations, freed from all mental proliferation, papanchas. With his banner fully lowered, he stands pure. Here, uh, the reference to banner being fully lowered, this is a reference we see a lot, a banner like a flag um, or putting down the flag as they say, is the ending of all conceit or uh, mana. And um, by him saying that this flag is lowered, what he's saying is, is, is an arahant. Because if even an anagami has to still negotiate one's way out of conceit, they still have conceit blocking the way. So by him saying the flag has been lowered, is a full arahant, Lord Buddha, which again, Mahavira is not, not even close, he's saying. He is the blessed one, the Buddha, and I am his disciple. He is the foremost, the seventh among all sages, free from all hypocrisies and deceptions. He possesses the threefold knowledges with a pure heart. He is the calm master of discourse, discourse and in composing verses, the giver of alms and offerings since time immemorial. He is the blessed one, the Buddha, and I am his disciple. He is the noble one, always mindful and with wise penetrative insight, always balanced, released from liking or disliking, never perturbed. He is completely free from craving, the undisturbed master of himself. He is the blessed one, the Buddha, and I am his disciple. Comfortably abiding in meditation, he lives the holy life honorably, never attached to either company or isolation. He resides in the highest secluded mind, himself having attained to the summit with perfect purity. Having crossed over the ocean of Dukkha himself, he now helps others to cross. He is the blessed one, the Buddha, and I am his disciple. With unparalleled discernment that is most profound, he is the one who's serene, completely empty of any greed, the overlord of wisdom. He is Tathagata. He is the Sugata. Unrivaled and peerless is he, confidently standing without compare. He is the blessed one, the Buddha, and I am his disciple. 
Having severed all manner of craving, he has become the awakened one, with no fumes of desire left burning. Remember the anthill fumes? He is free from all contaminants, the foremost worthy one to receive gifts. He is the mightiest among the most powerful, the most glorious of all beings, the incomparable one, deserving of the highest homage. He is the blessed one, the Buddha, and I am his disciple. Ten verses. Here we see Upali of Nalanda reciting the what came to be known as the Upali Gatha, or the verses of Upali, which uh, came in, as you saw, 10 verses. And he weaves them on the spot, weaves these words, puts them together, moved, moved, to say these words, which, by the way, are his lion's roar. These are Upali's lion's roar as a noble disciple. And what a beautiful roar that is, because it can only be based on truth. And that's why a lion's roar is this, can never be undermined, it can never be contradicted, it can never be put to question. It is based on truth through and through. It, this kind of a roar, it's like a roar that roars with the lifeblood of existence itself, if you will. It has the DNA of truth within it in every single word because of the truth that the person who's saying these words has lived, is living. Therefore, nothing could withstand or resist it. That's why it's called a lion's roar. And uh, so, and then the naked ascetic Niganthanataputta retorted, And when, householder, did you have enough time to put together this long praise for the recluse Gautama? Sir, when there is an abundantly vast heap of numerous flowers of all kinds, then a skilled garland maker or his apprentice would find it compelling to make a beautiful, exquisite garland of multicolored flowers. In just the same way, sir, the Blessed One has innumerable, wonderful, and praiseworthy qualities. So many inspiring virtues to list. Therefore, sir, how can we truly resist praising the One who's so worthy of our highest admiration when we still have the chance? Then, the old Nigantanataputta, unable to endure hearing such praise and honor being offered to the Blessed One, he then and there vomited hot blood. Sad, sad, sad. And in fact, we know from the text that by throwing up hot blood, Nigantanataputta collapsed and died right there on the spot. Um, so in my uh, 
travels last year throughout different different places, different continents, I saw, I came across some students uh, who, who had the Dhamma come knocking on their door, as it were. And there were some students who, although very appreciative, um, they nevertheless made it very clear that now is not the time for them to practice because they still wanted to go and engage in sensual pleasures and make the most of this life, as they said, to make more money, to become rich, to enjoy, to have all the benefits that a human body with all its six senses could give them sensually and all that. So I look at that and I look at Upali who didn't waste any time. He had all those sensual pleasures one can imagine, probably more so than we can imagine being so rich. But he didn't want to waste his opportunity as a human being. Yet I see sometimes individuals willingly doing that. Bhante, let me go ahead and go and make those mistakes. They even say those words, let me go and make those mistakes. I want to learn. I see what valuable thing you're offering, but I also feel like now is not the time because I still have to go and, I don't know, enjoy. Let me just say that, enjoy. So we're going after pleasures, eating, drinking, going to the bathroom, sleeping, and then repeating the cycle. For me, that's a sorry excuse for being a human being, plain and simple, because I really have a hard time distinguishing such a human life with a life of a pig, a dog, a cat, a mouse. In fact, some of these animals might show compassion and love at times or, or willingness to learn something and not kick something that's beneficial to them away. Because here we see 26 centuries ago, a human being, a householder, a householder who's done it, who's, who took a risk, who made the most of his life by not wasting this opportunity. This path is only open for such individuals. I will say that. We're not getting something for nothing ever, especially in the Dhamma. It takes willingness and it takes the desire to seek out and, 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 and while still being alive and pursue with intent our long-term benefit and obviously the benefit of others around us. But one has to do that for oneself instead of postponing, postponing. Well, tomorrow I'll do this later. I'll do this later. Let me make my mistakes, Bonte. Let me learn from my mistakes, okay? Okay? But while you're in the midst of doing that, you die, or you're hit with some serious sickness, and, or you lose your memory, or in, are now unable to actually sit down and meditate, or to ponder, to even read, or even to listen to the Dhamma. Postponing for what? Until when? So let's not.
Let's not. And that is my encouragement to you. And I will stop, uh, take a pause and, 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 and see uh, whether there are any thoughts, questions uh, that I may uh, offer some thoughts on. Please. Bonte? Yes. I, I, I have a tendency to say this fairly, fairly regular, but I think that was probably the most important suitor. I think I said that about two weeks ago, though, so maybe we can take that with a pinch of salt. But, but actually, it has highlighted... We are we are much more likely to break even like the precept of, of gossiping or talking aggressively if we aren't paying attention to a mental hygiene is what it's been called in the past. Mm. You know, and I think that this is such a precious because I've also been told a similar thing um, from a Theravada monk before about not worrying about mental thoughts. And I do I do sort of understand in a way their tradition isn't enabling you to let go so quickly. So telling somebody who can't let go that the cause and problems is potentially just going to drive that person mad. I do understand that. But I think that this lines up so well with like the, like the right view aspect of the practice that I wonder if you could maybe touch on that because I think maybe that the harmonious perspective that I've also heard it called as well is very much in line with this. I think it's maybe a better definition in some ways for, for this, but yeah, I just wonder if you could maybe touch on that because I think what you, what you do, what this is just precious. So thank you. I, I agree. And I personally have used harmonious perspective uh, quite a bit um, in my referencing of right view. Um, and how can I go to a destination if my starting point is uncertain. Even your phone apps, uh, the maps uh, for, um, I'm sorry, Google maps or something like that, Apple maps or something, anything, I'm not promoting any of them. But if you're going to put your destination, it starts first with where the journey is going to commence. Where is the starting point? Hence, Lord Buddha's insistence on always going back to right view. To me, the mental action is all about that. Because here we have, if we take in Jainism, for example, and this is not just about Jainism, because these are just religious names, uh, names of religious traditions and sex and things like that, but you can easily, easily find these qualities within people wearing my kind of robe in my tradition, Theravada, bhikkhus, bhikkhunis, even householders, householders, uh, male and female, doesn't matter. It is the behavior that matters. Don't tell me, show me. That's another way of saying it, right? But show me what? Your actions will indicate to me that 
there have been some thoughts about this. Intentionality is crucial here. Because just in case the person has omitted the importance of the first of the Eightfold Path, meaning uh, samadhiti or harmonious view or right view, just in case the person has neglected to consider that, the second still is in line with it. It's a continuation of that, which is right intentionality, or sometimes called right view, uh, right right thought, for example. Uh, but where is that intentionality going to come from? It's if I hold to that intention, I will know whether it has or has had uh, a good starting point or not. So the end doesn't justify the means. We're accountable. Even if I say, oh, I, I'm practicing ahimsa, non-harm, harmlessness. Okay, big fancy lofty principle or statement I'm making. But when it comes to a point where I'm walking and I see someone obstructing my way, I'm pushing them, shoving them. Well, I didn't hit them. They were standing on my way. Well, I really had to go or the fire alarm went off and they were obstructing the way. I had to just bulldoze my way through them. In those critical moments is where you see the person's mind. Because everything comes to that uh, that 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 in the crosshairs of of of, uh, of intensity of emotion of, of situations rather that cause a person to be uh, or, or that moment to be a little bit more pronounced than usual where things aren't necessarily going the way you would like them to and that's where the view is going to come out what is the person holding on to what type of a perspective because I can call harmonious perspective, I can name it, I can use it as a mantra all day, all night for 100 years. That's not going to change a bit if I'm not going to really look into my mind when I am alone. No one's there. And there's no one definitely watching my thoughts, I'm thinking. Even in the crowd, if I'm sitting there and no one can know what I'm saying, you know, think, saying to myself in my head or thinking. Can I put buffers right there? Can I put warning signs for myself? Can I put uh, stops for me so that I could deter myself from following through to make that single thought to, to dwell on that thought and maybe to perpetuate it? And this is where we turn it into papanchas prolonging that process, proliferating. One thought becomes, it doesn't stay one thought, especially when we show affection to it, care and, and consideration or attachment rather. It's going to bring its cousins. So now we're going to be weaving a whole series of unending narratives. And then the next time I'm talking with you and you irritate me, I'm going to say something bad. In fact, when the moment arises, I'm not even going to hesitate. I'm actually going to do something. And I will justify it most probably because of my thoughts. 
just like that person who says, hey, mental action isn't so bad. It's the physical action. Oh my, oh my. And then is also one of the reasons why I wanted to do these sutta series in the first place, because if we don't maintain, if we don't stand up for the Dhamma, if we don't hold our ground and say what needs to be said, uh, oftentimes, it, 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 well, it's slipping through our fingers, the teachings. So let us, let us, uh, so I hope, um, I don't know if I answered your question, but. Yes, um, I, I love how you uh, related it with Papanchas. So that, that's um, wonderful, ties up with the other best talk ever. <laughs> so thank you, Bhante. Yes, Other thoughts, questions, comments? I applaud your patience for sitting through these long suttas. Uh, and uh, sometimes not even go into the restroom. Uh, but yeah, this is this is this is also developing your vidya. This is also developing, obviously, your kanti, your your patience. Um, and this is where you can carry the meditative aspect of your work into your life. And my hope is to have some of these words, these upali, for example, this example, to kind of reverberate in your mind during the week. And that is why I'm so, um, I, I, I'm, I'm very uh, loud when it comes to pointing out that a householder has such uh, um, equal opportunities, that's what I'm trying to say, in attaining. Because I've seen not only uh, monastics, but in, including householders, telling of themselves, lay people, uh, describing themselves as, well, I wish I were also a monastic. I would be able to dedicate more of my energy. That's, that's, that's not true. So I hope Upali's example also helps to encourage you so you can remove those wrong views, if, if there are, um, that hold you back, that give you, in a sense, some excuses uh, for, for pulling yourself back and, and not really uh, pushing and trusting the process. Because you're on solid ground when you're practicing the Dhamma. That's why, um, you know, uh, many of us keep coming back to it. There's so many lessons, as you saw. Um, so please be encouraged. Please give yourself that sustenance of faith, of enthusiasm. And this is another reason why daily practice, consistent daily practice is important. Sometimes you might have responsibilities that might compel you not to be able to sit. I understand that. But even five minutes. But of course, not to make that a routine, of course. So um, 
I wanted to also offer those uh, suggestions as well, encouragements. Yes, Upatissa. Thanks very much, Pante. Can you hear me now? Yes. Please go. Okay. Um, well, I think the most important thing about this sutta is that um, it enumerates three kinds of karma. Um, kaya karma, the bodily karma, vachi karma, the uh, karma that is associated with speech, and most importantly, mano karma, which is um, karma, which is um, associated with intentions. And um, in a parallel sutta, I can, uh, I think I'm reminded of the, the very first uh, Dhammapada uh, verses, which goes um, uh, as mano pubangamadama, mano seta, mano maya. Um, intention is foremost. Um, intention is the uh, is the initial step of all um, phenomena. And if we were to act or speak with um, evil intentions, then the um, dukkha will follow us um, like a heavy ox cart wheel behind our back. I mean, which which is I mean very gross, very you know very painful and if we were to um, act and speak with good intentions then sukha will follow us like like a shadow mm -hmm. and i find that um there's a huge difference between the description of dukkha and sukha in the sense that um i would expect initially i would expect sukha to be like you know winning the checkpot, winning the lottery, winning the gold medal in the Olympic Games. But it is not, it is, it is very subtle. Um, it's not, um, you know, that uh, there is nothing eventful in Sukha, but it's a protective, it has protective qualities that, I mean, bring us safety, bring us peace, bring us tranquility. And I would probably, I'll say that probably 99.99% of all of us will never, will only come to appreciate this very subtle quality of sukha mm. when it is gone, when mm. it's too late. Yes. It's like health, good health. When you're not sick, when you're not ill, most of us take it for granted. We go on holidays, we never think about it. Until there's a toothache, until there's an illness, that's when it becomes obvious, the absence of health, how detrimental it is. In fact, I believe it, it was in traditional Chinese medicine where there was an era, a time period in China, I think, either that or it was in Ayurveda, I'm not sure between the two, I, I forgot. Uh, but basically, uh, it was this. The doctor used to get paid wherever, uh, when the person was uh, healthy. 
So it's like a car insurance because the doctor would always maintain the health of the person, making sure they were getting enough uh, plants, uh, all the right herbs were being given and everything, the lifestyle. However, the moment the person became sick, no payment. The doctors would never get paid until the person became healthy again. What a wonderful way to imagine today's doctors doing that. It's the opposite. The person becomes even more punished when they get sick, even though we do pay, you know, insurance, <laughs> uh, hefty amounts. So thank you for that. That's, that's uh, absolutely. Sukha is like the walls of protection of the palace, of, of the city, of the capital. And uh, we don't think about them until there are invading marauding forces at the gates. And, but that doesn't mean they're not important. Of course they are. Without Sukha, there cannot be Upekka. One of the Jhanic factors is Sukha after all. So it is important, but to a certain level, they open the way for wisdom to come in. So I will pause there because uh, something came up and I have to uh, attend to it. Um, and, uh, but um, I really appreciate you being here and the opportunity to share uh, the suttas. And if you have any questions, uh, again, I apologize for not being able to uh, answer them, even though it's been <laughs> over the, you know, we went over, but still I feel there might be, but I have to uh, end it at this point uh, against my will, if you will, but with good intentions. <laughs> uh, so um, let us share some merits. May suffering ones be suffering free and the fear struck fearless be. May the grieving shed all grief and may all beings find relief. May all beings share in these merits that we have thus acquired for the acquisition of all kinds of wholesome happiness. May beings inhabiting space and earth, devas and nagas of mighty power share in these merits of ours. May they long protect the Buddha's dispensation. Sad, sad, sad. May you all be well. See you next week.